Our church is so blessed to have um, amazingly talented people. Uh, I love listening to Jamal, to Jamal play, and, and uh, it's just good stuff. So, And then also, you'll notice it's, it's been interesting for the last number of months, actually. We haven't had too many issues with our tech, and what's interesting is we always acknowledge tech when something's going wrong, but I want to acknowledge them because everything's going really well. So thank you guys so much. All right. It's good to be back. I needed to be away, uh, and it was good to be away. I, uh, last Sunday, I had the privilege of listening to a former student uh, preach uh, down at San Bernardino, and, and uh, it put a big smile on my face as he, uh, as he brought the word, and it, it meant an awful lot to me. It made me feel even older than I already am, but it was great to hear that. And, and I thank Dane Nix uh, for filling in, and, and another great, talented individual. This, again, I, I said it a few moments ago, it is so it's such a joy for me to serve here among you and to have such great people involved in so many different ways. It, it means an awful lot to me. We're going to do something a little different this morning, and we'll get to the fun fruit facts in just a moment, but I want to quiz you a little bit because I'm the one who's always saying the fruit of the Spirit is, and so we're going to do this together this morning. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Everything got muddled there, but I heard it. So we're good, right? So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are all the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to continue the, talking about that this, this morning, but, but before we get there, I want to give you the fun fruit facts, and the fruit that you'll receive today is a lemon. Um, not many people are going to chomp into a lemon, but there are some interesting fun fruit facts about lemons, and the first is this, is that during the Renaissance time, women used the juice from a lemon, women used the juice from a lemon to redden their lips have no idea how that works, but we'll just say that they did it. It looked really neat. Second thing is this, and this is for many of us that struggle with sore throats at times. Hot water and lemon juice is a great uh, way to soothe your throat and, and make things feel better. And then lastly is this, and this is for those of us that enjoy being out in the sun. For natural highlights in your hair, apply lemon juice daily for a week. Okay, so some of you that don't have hair don't have to worry about that. Those of us that do, and even though it's leaving me rapidly, uh, we, we have that issue. So, lemons. There's not much that's enjoyable when you bite into a lemon. The tartness, and it, it puckers you up, and things like that. But yet, when God calls us, when God gets involved in our lives, He makes wonderful things. Through the lemons of our life, He has a way of making lemonade. That's the way he operates. And so what I want to do right now is another, get you to participate a little bit more. And I want to ask you to think about different attributes of God. Just want you to think about different attributes of God, and I'm going to collect a couple of these as you share them with me. Give me one attribute of God that stands out to you. What? Personal, is that what you said? Very Merciful, okay, I'll get it. Okay, merciful, give me another one. Loving, faithful, what else? Holy, what? 
provider. Give me one more. Comforter. Giving. Okay? Patient. Holy. Oh, good. Okay, we're good. Good. That's good. I want you to notice something. We could have kept going, and, and, uh, and I know that we could have kept going for quite a while. But what strikes me as interesting, because I've asked this question numerous times throughout my life, when I ask for people to give attributes, and trust me, everything you said is right on. It's spot on. It's fine. There's nothing. You can't sit there and say, well, you know, you shouldn't have put that on the list. No, I'm not going to say that at all. But what I am going to say is this. It always strikes me as interesting that one of the attributes of God that doesn't get mentioned very often is this, that God is good. We list all these other things. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's loving. He's this. He's that. All those are true. But so often, him being good for some reason is rarely at the top of our list. Growing up, I didn't grow up in a, in a particularly, uh, well, it wasn't a Christian home at all, but for some reason, my parents would have us pray every time before we ate dinner, and it was, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, amen, right? Then we dug into my mom's dried pot roast, which I never really enjoyed that much at all, but but we had that prayer, God is great, God is good, and yet when we think of different attributes, so often his goodness, yeah, it'll make the list, but it's not near the top. At least it's not when I, when I think about different attributes. His goodness is part of who he is. It comes out of who he is. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, and it's really important to keep this in mind as we look at, these, as we look at this passage as, uh, in, in, that, that the writer of Hebrews gives us in Hebrews chapter 12. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. Goodness. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have, not re- you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not the true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it, how much more should we submit to the to the Father of spirits, and live. They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word and talking about your goodness and how that is to 
provoke goodness in our lives. We would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, open our minds that we may understand, and open our hearts that we may be transformed by your goodness, no matter what's going on in our lives right now. And we pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear. And that in all of this, Lord Jesus Christ, you would be lifted up, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored. And we thank you for being the one who's always good all the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All the time is a really long time. It's impossible for us to get to fully understand that. And all the time, God is good. It is a key characteristic of God is his goodness. There, God is so good. He is so good. When he created everything, and we read about this in Genesis chapter 1, as he looked at his creation, remember, this was his creation. This wasn't someone else's creation. This was his creation. When he looks at his creation, his first statement is this, it is good. That's the way he describes it. It is good. His creation is good because his creation is an overflow of his goodness. And yet, as I was working on the message this week and talking about goodness, I kept coming back to this question about God's goodness, and it's this. Do we believe that God is good? Do we really believe that God is good? Now, before, I, before you respond, before you formulate your response, I want you to think clearly about what it means that God is good and what impact that has on our lives. Do we believe that God is good? If we truly believe that God is good all the time and has our best interests in mind all the time, then I ask you two questions. Why do we choose to say things that we ought not say? Why do we choose to do things that we ought not do? If we truly believe that God is good all the time, that there's no moment where he is not good, if we truly believe that he has our best interests in mind all the time, then why do we repeatedly look elsewhere for satisfaction in life? Why do we repeatedly say that, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and sin and do whatever? I submit to you, we say that we believe God is good all the time, but the way we live our lives, we deny that belief so often. Maybe I shouldn't say we. Maybe I should just simply say me. Because if we believe God is good all the time, then I ought not look elsewhere for satisfaction. Then I ought not try to do things that really aren't of God at all. If I truly believe that God is good then I will live out a life that shows that goodness. The truth of the matter is this, is that we choose to do other things rather than truly believe that God is good. God is good all the time, all the time God is good. God never ever has a non-good moment. He never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. He never needs to have an attitude check. He never, ever, ever 
does anything to harm someone. He always works for good, no matter what the situation is, no matter how bad it is, how broken it is, how fallen it is, no matter what the situation is, God has this amazing propensity to always work for the good. You're here this morning. You're here this morning, and and perhaps what brought you here was because there are some really not-so-good things going on in your life. And maybe it's not the not-so-good things that are going on in your life. Maybe it's the not-so-good things that are going on in someone else's life. But you're here this morning, and you're wondering if there's anyone out there, if there's anyone that is truly good all the time, I submit to you that God is good all the time. That He can enter into your not-so-good situation and make it better. He can give you peace. He can give you hope. He's there to do that very thing. And that's incredibly important for us to remember, especially in light of this passage that we're looking at this morning. In Hebrews chapter 12, we pick it up in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts at his son, as his son. His good news, and it is good news that he is good all the time, his good news happens in real time. Notice what the author says here, the writer says. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. The people in, in, in this day, and the people in, that uh, the writer of Hebrews is addressing, life is really difficult for them. Persecution of believers is growing more and more intense, almost on a daily basis. They're having friends, they're having relatives, they're having acquaintances who are being tortured and tormented and martyred all because they follow after Jesus Christ. Things are really bad, and so the writer of Hebrews is writing to them and saying, listen, in your struggle against sin, you, maybe some of your friends have, maybe some of your relatives have, but you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He's very real about the intensity, about the persecution that's going on. Hear me clearly, the Bible never once avoids real time. Never once. He's always there, and he's in the, and the Bible always can connect with what's going on in our lives. Being a Christ follower for these people meant that they're turning away from a former way of living. It meant that perhaps they're going to have to adopt, not just perhaps adopt different principles, but they will adopt different principles that are not going to be well received. For God's people at this time, this was a revolutionary thing that all of a sudden you mean to tell me that God loves all of humanity, not not just the Jewish people? You mean that we actually need to care for our enemies rather than condemn them all the time? It was a radical lifestyle shift. And the writer of Hebrews understands this, that the struggle is real. The struggle is real. The struggle for those who profess Christ, who profess following after Christ today is real. And as it becomes more and more clear on a daily basis that most of the people that we run into in our lives don't have any type of affiliation with Jesus Christ whatsoever. As a matter of fact, in the past seven years, that number who claim no 
no allegiance, no affiliation with any type of religious belief whatsoever has grown almost 10%. We live in an increasingly anti-religious environment and an increasingly anti-Christ following environment. The struggle is real and the struggle is also discouraging. It's discouraging. There are more Christ-following people being persecuted at this particular moment than at any time in the course of history. As a matter of fact, the organization called Open Door, which does all types of studies on worldwide persecution, has come up with this number, that 218 million Christ-followers throughout this world are facing some type of targeted persecution today. 218 million. So the struggle is real, the struggle is discouraging, and the struggle at times feels endless. The writer of Hebrews is addressing that in your struggle against sin. He doesn't say that, hey, you're just dealing with it right now. There's this sense when we're in the middle of the struggle that it feels endless. For many in this room, each day feels like another setback. As you hear word about a family member, as you hear word about a neighbor, perhaps you hear word for on, on yourself, whatever the case may be, it feels so difficult and the struggle happens over and over and over again. It feels endless. And so the writer of Hebrews sets this up and he says this is what's going on and then look what he does in verse 5 and it almost seems counterintuitive. Look at what he says. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? In the middle of this struggle, in the middle of this discouragement, in in the middle of this ongoing, endless feeling of nothing's ever going to change, the writer of Hebrews says, I want to give you a word of encouragement. I want to give you a good word. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Good word in the middle of the struggle. A good word to know that into our real time, God is good and he will not leave us. Not once. Remember, God never has a non-good moment. He will never leave us. He understands that. And so in the middle of this, the writer is stating, remember, he is with you. Even though it's difficult right now, even though there's some discipline going on in your life right now, you're not forgotten. He is with you. He will not ever leave you alone. God is good, and he's right there. Instead of him getting bogged down, instead of the writer getting bogged down in their struggle, he says, God's here. In FBC Salinas, we've seen that for 144 plus years. There have been struggles in the 144-year existence of this church, but yet time and time and time again, God brings good news, and he says, I'm right there with you in the midst of whatever's going on in your life. For 144-plus years, he is real. He is good in real time. And perhaps you're here this morning and you're hearing this, knowing that we're doing this series on the fruit of the Spirit, and perhaps you're thinking, well, Pastor John, what does this have to do with the fruit of the Spirit? It has to do with it this way. Since goodness originates with God, and He's always good no matter the situation, there is always time for there is always time to do good when it comes to encouragement. 
That's what the writer of Hebrews is doing here. He's exercising one of the fruit of the Spirit by giving good news to the people. In your life right now, are there people that are struggling? In your life right now, are there people that are wondering if they're going to make it? If there are, give them a good word of encouragement. Let them know that you're there for them. Let them know that you care for them. As we live that out, all of a sudden people are going, wait, what's going on here? Why would you say that? And perhaps you are here right now and you need a good word of encouragement because things are coming at you fast. I'm here to tell you this, that God is good in real time. That God is there in the midst of whatever you're going through and that he will not let you go. There is always a time to share a good word of encouragement. And perhaps you're sitting there thinking this morning, well, I don't want the person to get a big head. Let me tell you something. Get over yourself and give a good word. If they get a big head because of it, you know what? That's on them. That's not on you. We have enough discouragement all the time. And by the way, I'm not saying be all rainbows and unicorns and stuff like that. What I'm saying is don't be afraid to give a good word of encouragement to people. Nine times out of ten, the people that you're interacting with are yearning to know that God cares about them are yearning to know that there is a struggle and they're yearning to know that somebody's willing to go alongside them and we have the greatest gift of all to share with them and that's the good news of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews addresses that and into the midst of the struggle, he gives them a good word. He's always good. We have good news in real time and we have good news in real life. We pick it up in verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? We read the word discipline over and over and over again throughout the course of this passage. And each time that word discipline comes up, for me, it always conjures up some unpleasant memories. When I think of being disciplined by my father, it was a glare that could melt metal. And when you got locked into that gaze, it's lights out for you. Not that he hit me or beat me or anything, but I knew I was in trouble. When I think of discipline, I think of my father's glare. Or when I think of discipline, I think of those times that I got grounded for doing something stupid. Anybody else ever get grounded for doing something stupid? Okay, we have one person. Well, okay, that doesn't shock me, Dave. Um, But um, just joking. Manny, I'm a little shocked with you. Cindy, the more I get to know you, I'm not shocked at all. Um, But I did stupid stuff and we get grounded. And then one time I had had my license for a grand total of six months. Got a speeding ticket. And I, was, and I told my folks, I said, I said hey, I'm going out with, with Todd and, and Mike later on. I, I need the car. Notice the phrase there that I used? Didn't go over real well with my mom and dad. They said, son, you just got a speeding ticket. That car isn't leaving the driveway anytime soon. 
My parents disciplined me because they knew what was best for me. And yes, I longed to drive and, and I longed to get behind the wheel, but yet they had this relationship with me where discipline could happen. Now hear me on this one. Without relationship, there is no discipline. It wasn't my neighbors coming over to discipline me, and it wasn't that I don't have a relationship with them, but my parents cared so much about me, they disciplined me. Why is this important? Why, does this, why, do, why do I keep bringing this up? It's, it, the reason is this, is it is good that God relates to us, and part of that relating to us involves being disciplined. I'm not going to go through all these different things of discipline. You know when you're being disciplined. You know when you're out of line and you need to be corrected. God does that. Because he relates to us, his good discipline always comes into play. God desires to be that good father, to be that one that's going to treat you properly. Look at verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. And I love the question, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, then you're not legitimate nor true sons and daughters at all. What he's saying is the, the, the fact that you're being disciplined is a reminder to you that you are a child of the living God. He doesn't simply say, hey, get out of my, get out of my way. I want to get back to more important things. He cares for all of us. And part of that care means being disciplined. It's good news in real life. And then we come to verses 10 and 11. They, meaning our parents, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. Good news happens all the time. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The writer of Hebrews understands that there are limitations to a parent's understanding of what discipline is good for and what discipline can do. And that's what makes this whole concept of God is good all the time, all the time God is good. It's what makes it difficult because we've never had people in our lives who are good to us all the time. There's always, there's always going to be some type of a breakdown because we're broken people. Yes, I care greatly about my daughters as I was parenting them, but there were times when I blew it, where I was more concerned about me than I was about them. God never blows it because God never has a non-good moment. So the writer of Hebrews acknowledges the fact that humanity has issues and limitations on knowing exactly what is good all the time, but yet he follows it up and he says this, but God disciplines us for our good. Why does he do this? Because God is good all the time. He's good all the time, and it is always good that God does not stop working in our lives. He never stops. And that's great news. That's good news. No matter what's happening in your life right now, God is working. No matter, what, no matter if, if it's a difficult thing that you're going through or a great thing you're going through, God is at work. And then I always chuckle when I read verse 11. 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. I want to sit down with the writer of Hebrews and say this. No, duh. No discipline ever seems pleasant at the time. When I was grounded, I didn't sit there and say, man, mom, dad, I'm having a great time. No. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. And perhaps right now what's going on in your life is God is using this particular moment to to mold us, to to be the people he wants us to be, because the purpose of 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 the discipline is this in order that we may share in his holiness. He wants us to share in his presence. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to enjoy him. So the discipline is not always what we want, but it is always what we need. You and I don't know what we need all the time, but God does. And it might not be what we want, but it is going to be exactly what we need. So what's the connection, John, to the fruit of the Spirit? Well, when Paul includes this goodness as a list of one of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, there's a temptation for us to then run with that and think that we are now bound to do good works and that through doing all these good things, God will be pleased with us. By doing all these good things, God will finally be satisfied with us. By doing all these good things, we can prove ourselves. And when we see this on the list, we're thinking of all these good works that we can do. But here's what happens every single time when we decide to do good works on our own power, thinking that we can prove our worth to God. Here's where it leads. It leads to discouragement. It leads to resentment. It leads to burnout. And it leads to damage. So the reason why I have to set this up when we're talking about goodness is we have to look at God being the base of goodness, that God is being the foundation of goodness. As he works his goodness in our lives, we then respond to that goodness with our lives by doing the good that he is calling us to do. We don't do good works saying, oh God, now you're going to be pleased with me. No, we do the good works because he's already been doing the good work in us. And that goodness knows no bounds. That goodness doesn't just happen when you're having a good day or a bad day. It's happening all the time. He wants us to enjoy his presence with us all the time because he is good all the time. The good works that we do do not get us accolades with God. The good works that we do are prompted by his good work in us. Look back at Hebrews chapter 12. Look back at verse 1. Listen to these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. He doesn't simply say, the writer doesn't say, hey, look back at all the good things you've done and get encouraged by that. What he does is he says, look back, look back to Jesus Christ and all the good that he he has done, and he's the one who's endured, so you can keep on moving forward. 
How has His goodness impacted your life today? How has His goodness impacted your life today? Because of Jesus Christ's goodness moving in a person's life, schools have been built so people can understand the intricacies of life. Because of Jesus' goodness moving in a person's life, hospitals have been built so that people can experience physical restoration when they encounter physical hardships. Because of Jesus' goodness moving in a person's life, orphanages have been built so that children can be cared for and not left to fend for themselves. Because of Jesus' goodness moving in a person's life, wells have been built throughout the developing world that provide clean water for people, which leads to better health. Because of Jesus' goodness moving in a person's life, counselors have provided comfort, guidance, and healing to those who have been impacted by the hurts in life. Because of Jesus' goodness moving in a person's life, organizations have been created to provide food for those who have no food. Because of Jesus' goodness moving in a person's life, rehabilitation centers have reached into the darkness of people's addictions to provide them what they need so that they can get free from their addiction. Because of Jesus' goodness moving in a person's life, forgiveness is not simply a nice word that people throw around to one another. It's a reality because of what Jesus Christ has done. Because of Jesus' goodness moving in a person's life, a church on the corner of Blanco and San Vicente provides prayer and financial support to missionaries in Africa and Asia and Rainbow Acres. We have a traveling seminary. We have adults with with learning disabilities that are being cared for by Rainbow Acres in Arizona. We have service men and women in Monterey that are being impacted by the ministry of navigators in Monterey. All of this is happening because of the goodness of Jesus Christ moving in people's lives at the corner of San Vicente and Blanco, and his name continues to be proclaimed. His goodness changes lives, and it's changing your life. It's changing this church's life, and it will continue to change us forward forever and ever. Amen. We have a good God that will not stop being good. As you look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, we come there and we say this, we get to carry out this good news because we have a good God who wants to keep working in our lives for all times. We have good news that this world desperately needs to hear. I encourage you this week to share that good news, to share a good word with your family, with a neighbor, perhaps an enemy, perhaps a coworker. Share that good word, not because it's all about you, but because it's all about a good God being at work in your life. And if you're here this morning and you need to hear that good news, know this, that this God that we serve, that we worship, that we sing about, loves you, cares for you, and wants the very best for you. And yes, it doesn't mean that things are going to be sunshine and rainbows all the time, but it does mean this, that this good God will continue to be good and carry you through whatever comes your way. If you have questions about that, I'd be more than happy to talk to you after the service. We have other folks that would love to talk to you as well. But this good God that we have continues to do great work all the time. I invite you to get to know him. 
Father, we pray as we reflect on these words, your good word, your good word that changes lives. We pray that it would sink deeply into each and every one of our lives. And Lord, we confess that when we're being disciplined, it is not fun. And there are more than a few moments when we complain about it, when we grouse about it, when we are not pleased at all. Yet because you're a good God, and because you're good all the time, we trust you to keep doing that work. Father, have mercy on us for those times when we shy away from your goodness and decide to go our own way. And Lord, because of your goodness, we pray that you would draw us back to you. Pray for the people in this room right now, perhaps, who wonder if you are good. Would ask that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way to remind them of your goodness and of your mercy, of your compassion, of your forgiveness, of your ability to restore. You're a good God. As a matter of fact, you're the only good God. And we rejoice in you. We thank you for what you've done in Jesus Christ. The one to whom we get to fix our eyes and say, thank you, Jesus, for being good and for doing what you did to rescue us. May we never forget that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the worship team's going to come back up and we're going to sing a couple more songs and, and let's sing them out. Let us enjoy worshiping him and, and settle in with that. You guys can get set up. I'll give you a little bit more time and go from there. So he's good. He's good all the time, isn't he? Amen.